is A-M-E-N, the Alpha Male Entertainment Network. Broadcasting from Humidor 1A in the cigar city of Tampa, Florida, U-S-A. Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show. Weekly excursion into the world of cigars, spirits, and diversions. The cigar and pleasure-friendly hotlines are open. 877-DAVE-007. Now, fire up a cigar and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time for the General, General Cigar, cigar Dave. Dave. There is a high probability, almost a guaranteed probability in today's show that we will talk about alpha male delicacies and alpha male pleasures. We'll be talking about cigars, guaranteed. We'll be talking about a libation and spirit, guaranteed. We'll be talking about meat, guaranteed. We'll be talking about alpha male pleasure, guaranteed. And we are guaranteed to tick off the enemies of pleasure. And I couldn't be happier. Because we congregate every week as alpha males. We are unapologetic. We are unabashed carnivores and pleasure seekers. We enjoy, after a very hard week of work, we enjoy our downtime and our relaxational maneuvers. Enemies of pleasure, be damned. Long-ash greetings and salutations. A long-ash snappy salute, Semper Delictatio. Always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make America great again. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. It is your five-star global general and your Alpha male-in-chief, front and center from Command Center Alpha in the cigar city of Tampa, where I'm surrounded by fantastic cigars, libations, of course, the harem. No vegans allowed anywhere near Command Center Alpha. Don't forget, follow me. Social media, go to CigarDave.com, upper right-hand side. You can see all of the social media platforms, and uh, Twitter is where I like to hang out mostly. I've really lost favor with Facebook, but Sergeant Steve does a great job posting all of our show-related materials on our Cigar Dave Facebook page, so make sure you follow us along the way. Great show for you today. Later on in this hour, Mardi Gras is around the corner. Fat Tuesday, Mardi Gras From French to English, translates to Fat Tuesday. That is the last day where people theoretically and technically can indulge themselves before the Lenten season begins. And we will be going out to one of my favorite uh, little local delis here in the Cigar City of Tampa. We're going out to Mott and Hester Deli and talking to the proprietor, Ted Kelly. He makes one of the greatest blackened sausage and chicken gumbos I have ever had from scratch, nothing from a can, and he's going to share his secret. You can make this at home. It's easy, and it is off the charts. So we'll be heading out for the last segment of this hour and also talk about a couple of other Cajun delicacies. Next hour, for our Cigar Masters series, we'll be joined by Willie Herrera, the master blender at Drew Estate Cigars, the man behind the February 2019 Cigar Dave Officers Club selection, the Herrera Esteli Brazilian Maduro. And I have, as you can hear, the Cigar Dave Officers Club pouch in my hand with three magnificent Herrera Esteli Brazilian Maduros. 
and I will smoke one of them. Do I want the Robusto? Do I want the Toro? Do I want the Lonsdale? Oh, such hard decisions. But fear not, I will enjoy one of these fantastic cigars during the National Cigar Litation and Libation Ceremony. Wherever you are, make sure you have your cigar ready, your libation ready, have your grill turned on, throw a steak, throw some ribs, throw a burger, throw some hot dogs, throw some... Uh, uh, pork loins, whatever you want, throw on the grill and just uh, enjoy pleasure maneuvers along with us. Now, today is a very big day. Hard to believe we're already in March, the second day of March. St. Patrick's Day is just around the corner. I mean, we are just a couple of weeks away from St. Patrick's Day. Hard to believe we're already in March. The year is going by so quickly already. But it's a very big day, just in time for St. Patrick's Day. Smart Mouth Brewing Company. In Norfolk, Virginia, just in time for St. Patrick's Day, has created a special beer, an IPA, an India Pale Ale that will remind you of one of your favorite childhood cereals, Frosted Lucky Charms. They're magically delicious. As a kid, who can... I mean, Frosted Lucky Charms were certainly a very important staple of one's breakfast. And I was just thinking about some of the cereals growing up as a kid that I loved. Of course, today, if you have you, you serve your kid these cereals with all the sugar, they'll throw you in jail. They'll call child, the child Welfare Board or Child Services on you. But as a kid growing up, I loved Captain Crunch. Captain Crunch was my favorite. Then Apple Jacks behind that. Then Super Sugar Smacks. I don't think they even call it Super Sugar Smacks anymore. I think they call it Honey Smacks because it's politically incorrect to have sugar in any name of a cereal. Then Raisin Bran, and I don't know if you remember a cereal called Quisp, also made by Quaker Oats, but love Quisp, Captain Crunch. By far, those were my favorites. And of course, every now and then, Frosted Lucky Charms, because they're magically delicious. They're well, just in delicious. time. For, there you go. Just in time for St. Patrick's Day. Smart Mouth Brewing has come out with a Saturday morning IPA meant to take your taste buds on a journey back to your childhood when you sat on the couch with a bowl of Lucky Charms in your lap while you watch Saturday morning cartoons. And the way that they get this flavor is they brew the IPA beer with house-toasted marshmallows and what the brewer calls or describes as cereal marshmallows, of course, without naming the brand, in the mash. The sweet concoction is then hopped and dry hopped with Galaxy and Calypso hops. They describe their Saturday morning IPA as a soft pillow body with a slight cereal taste. Designed to remind you of your childhood when you used to sort through bowls of your favorite breakfast cereal to separate the marshmallows from the cereal. Their beer, their IPA, is 6.6% alcohol by volumes, has a nose that is sweet and citrusy, orange and pear aromas. And while they do not mention Lucky Charms by name, if you look at the can, everything about the can says Frosted Lucky Charms. The color, the red background, the gold where Saturday morning, the text and the, the little uh, uh, forms of marshmallows, the designs of the marshmallows, everything about the Smart Mouth Saturday morning IPA screams Frosted Lucky Charms. A very limited release. In fact, it was released, oh, just about six, uh, about 12 minutes ago at noon, at high noon, at the uh, Brewer's Norfolk location. 
It will be available on tap or in four packs, a very, very limited release. I'll tell you, if I was in Norfolk, Virginia right now, you better believe I would go and line up and grab a Smart Mouth Saturday morning IPA with marshmallows on tap. And if it was good, which probably is, got a nice, uh, sweet, frosted Lucky Charms component to it, probably buy as many four-packs as they would allow me to buy. I'm going to see if I can get my hands on it. Maybe I'll call the brewer. Maybe Smart Mouth will be kind enough, since I did give them so much publicity. So Smart Mouth Saturday morning IPA with marshmallows, just in time for St. Patrick's Day. And you got to love that these craft brewers are doing unique flavorings and limited editions. It's fantastic. You don't see that from the big guys. They're just interested in pumping out as much bud or as much uh, Coors as they can. The craft brewers are able to come up with these very limited releases. So I'm going to do what I can. And if any of you live in Virginia and actually decide after you listen to the show today, go out to the Smart Mouth Brewing Company in Norfolk, do me a favor, send me an email, CigarDave at CigarDave.com. And uh, along with that, send a picture. Would love to see it and your tasting notes, what you think of the Smart Mouth Brewing Saturday Morning IPA beer. I told you, I guaranteed you, I was going to talk about meat on today's show. Guaranteed it. Because as alpha males, it is a very important component of our daily diet. And I guaranteed you that I was going to bring it up. What I didn't guarantee you is that I was going to talk about Ocasio-Cortez. Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, a representative from, what is it, Queens, I believe. Dumbest woman in America. Dumbest congressman or woman in the history of the United States of America. And the fact that she is the spokesmouth for the taxocrat party speaks volume. She is now the de facto leader. No ifs, no ands, no buts. Everybody else follows the leader. It's kind of like going on a field trip, where as a kid, remember, you'd have to follow your teacher or your camp counselor. Everybody's following AOC, Pelosi, every other congressman and congresswoman, the senators. It's got a brand new green deal. And one of the items that she was saying is that we have got to cut down because of climate change and the precipitous nature of climate. In fact, we're not going to be around here in 12 years. The earth is going to cease to exist after, as Bernie would say, billions and billions and billions of years, the earth is going away. She knows this because she is a genius. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the woman, is a scientific genius. She is smarter than a rocket scientist. And one of the things that she said, we must cut down, must cut down to save the planet on farming and on meat consumption. This is what she had to say on a Showtime uh, uh, interview show earlier this week. Maybe we shouldn't be eating a hamburger for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Why not? Maybe? Of course. I have no problem. That is an important staple of the American alpha male diet. Meat or burgers for breakfast, lunch, dinner. Okay, maybe not a burger, all three meals. How about just a burger, say, for breakfast or some breakfast sausage? Maybe you have a giant, I don't know, ribeye steak for lunch, and then maybe have some, some nice ribs. Or if you want to vary it up, maybe have a nice porterhouse steak for dinner. But meat three times a day, no problem. I'm telling you, and again, I am not a scientist as brilliant as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. However, I will guarantee you sugar, 
far worse than meat. Guaranteed. No ifs, no ends, no buts. So she says, Americans shouldn't have burgers for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Well, on Tuesday night, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and her chief of staff, Sekhet Chakrabarti, went to dinner. And someone tweeted out a picture of her and her chief of staff, Sekhet Chakrabarti, at dinner, dining together. Now, Ocasio-Cortez, who said this earlier this week, hit it one more time, Sergeant Steve. Maybe we shouldn't be eating a hamburger for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Ah, what did her chief of staff, Sekhet Chakrabarti, order? A hamburger. And he had the gall to eat it right in front of her. I am looking at the picture. This is not your typical McDonald's burger or, or a Whopper from Burger King. Or as my grandfather used to say, King Boyga. This is a giant gourmet craft burger. Piled high. This is one of those that looks like a Big Ange burger. You know, nice and thick, like an inch and a half thick. It's probably at least 8, 10 ounces of meat. Got the lettuce in there. It looks as though there's maybe some pickles and some tomatoes. Some fries in there on the side. She is sitting a mere one and a half feet away. They're in an L-shaped booth. And he is munching on a burger. And she is watching this take place. Don't you love the hypocrisy? Again, it's okay for everyone else to give up maybe having a burger for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But it doesn't apply to her or her chief of staff, Seket Chakrabarti. It is incredible. Do as I say, not as I do. Have we not seen that from these climate nutcases, wackadoodles before Al Gore? The earth has got the flu. Stop eating meat. Don't use so much power. But meanwhile, he lives in an 18,000-square-foot house that uses more power than like 40 houses. I am just tired and sick of these people that think they are so smart. Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, where people are dumb enough to actually listen to this dingbat, this wackadoodle, like she is a brilliant, prescient genius. What's amazing is she was an economics major at, I believe it was Boston, I'm not sure if it was BU or BC, Boston College, Boston University. I think it was BU. All I can tell you is, if that's what they are teaching in the economics department, what she's spewing out at BU, good luck. It's more like BS. Will I change in any way, shape, or form if I want to eat meat three times a day, five times a day, eight times a day? Will you as an alpha male, as a carnivore? The answer is absolutely not. Because frankly, we don't care what these people have to say because as alpha males, we are educated and intelligent enough to make up our own minds, to make our own decisions. We're not like these taxocrats and these wussified betas that sway at the wind, that have to seek approval, that... What did they say? Oh, they said we can't do this, then we're not going to do that. We're not dumb lemmings like a lot of the wussified betas. We think and decide for ourselves. And that's what drives the enemies of pleasure so crazy, is that we are not easily swayed by their junk science, their fake science. We're intelligent enough to do our own research and make up our own decisions. Now, I've told you there is a massive movement by the feminists to wussify and feminize 
Amer- not just American males, but males across the globe. We're seeing it everywhere. From the time that boys are in grade school, from kindergarten on, they're told boys should not be boys. They shouldn't roughhouse. They shouldn't play, play uh, expend all their energy. We hear it all the time. These boys have eight, uh, what is it, ADD, attention deficit disorder, because they're so wild. No, boys are like puppies. They're like my puppy Pendragon's Royal Baron, who's now 11 months and like 115 pounds, who is right next to me here at Command Center Alpha. You got to let them out and unleash that energy. I do it umpteen times a day because I bring them to Command Center Alpha pretty much every day. But you got to release the energy. It's the same thing with boys. Boys have energy. And what we're seeing are these feminists want to now constrict boys. They want to feminize and wussify boys and ultimately men. That's exactly what their mission is. And here's a perfect example. This comes to us from the land of Mick the Brit, from Britain, as Mick the Brit would say. And I'm talking about a woman by the name of Mary, or correction, Marie Claire Springham. Marie Claire Springham, a student from London, England, as Mick would say, oh, Sterling General, has created a special kit to give men the ability to chest feed their babies in order to overcome the gender inequality of women-only breastfeeding. It is a, what I am calling, an MCPA, a male chest feeding pump apparatus. And in addition to this pump, which a man would put onto his chest, onto his bosom, it would pump and extract milk. But in order for her to, a man to do that, you have to stimulate the production of the milk-producing glands. So her idea is to send men a kit that would contain a nine-month supply of progestin, which is the non-estrogen-based birth control pill, which allow which would allow men's breasts to enlarge and apparently start secreting milk for the baby to consume and of course you use this pump and that stimulates it i'm sorry this is the baddest dumbest most ridiculous idea i have ever heard of course the feminists are all saying this is fantastic this is wonderful oh it's about time that men also take part in the child rearing and the baby rearing end of things, that they know what it's like for us women to have to breastfeed at inconvenient times. Please, this goes against the natural order of, of mankind. Men have, do not have large racks, women do, for the specific ability to breastfeed the child, the baby. Women, not men. You see, women stay in the cave. Women stay in the cave, and when they have a baby, they breastfeed the baby, and they, again, take care of the little cave, make sure that all the food that the male hunter-gatherer has gone out throughout the course of the day or the weeks has brought into the cave is cooked and ready to go, and they take care of the little one. And the man provides for the overall family. That's the natural order of things. And if there's a feminist listening saying, I can't believe you just said that, General, that's so politically incorrect, you would be correct, because I am not politically correct. That's why tons of people listen to this show, because I tell it like it is. 
It is not a natural order for a man to breastfeed a child. Period. End of discussion. Now, on Good Morning Britain, I'm sure Mick the Brit gets up every morning and watches Good Morning Britain. Sterling, Sterling. They had this Mary, uh, Marie Claire Springham who created this male chest feeding pump apparatus. And the host asked her, what is the point of this? What's the point? Um, it's because it, partly I designed this first as an empathy tool. I was looking mm -hmm. at postnatal depression and I learned so much, particularly um, that it occurs in men. And the main cause of that is the feeling of being left out. For the main trigger for women is the struggle to breastfeed. It's sad if a man feels left out because his wife's or partner's breastfeeding, isn't it? Well, it's not necessarily because they're breastfeeding. Mm. It's more, um, you have things that come into play, things like infant preference. So I read a lot of really heartfelt accounts of, you know, the baby comes home, the dad is all ready to be super dad, mm. and the baby's not interested because the baby's attracted to the smell of breast milk. And that's what mum smells like. Oh, please. Do you think the baby says, I'm not interested? No. The father comes, plays with the baby, spends time with the baby. But she says this is an empathy. This chest feeding tool is an empathy tool. I mean, you can have empathy towards your wife or your girlfriend for having to get up in the middle of the night and breastfeed at umpteen times. But I don't need to have a, a pump on my boob to feel empathy for that. And then she says, men feel left out? Are you kidding me? I don't know of one legitimate male. There's a lot of males out there, but the only legitimate males are alpha males. Beta males are not males. They're glorified women. I know of no man, alpha male, that says, oh, I can't breastfeed my baby, my son, my daughter. I feel left out. What a load of poppycock. Men don't feel left out because they can't have a baby suck at the proverbial teat. No way. Again, more feminization. The feminists are thrilled. And when we come back, I'm going to give the response of one of the other men on the panel. What he had to say, would a man do this? I can tell you what my answer would be, and you know exactly what it is without me telling you. Get the latest cigars, hand-picked by the General, each month, delivered straight to your door. When you join the Cigar Dave Officers Club, for just $22.95 a month, you'll receive three premium cigars in a customized Ziploc Cigar Dave pouch. To join, go to CigarDave.com. In 1964, Jose O. Padron began rolling cigars bearing his name in modest surroundings with one guiding principle, always focus on quality, never on quantity. Nearly 40 years later, Padron cigars are recognized for their superior taste and majestic construction. The result of Padron controlling all aspects of the cigar making process, including planting their own seeds, growing and curing their own tobacco, and constantly supervising the rolling room. To Wall Street, it is called vertical integration. To the Padron family, it's called making great cigars. The Padron lines include the Padron 1964 Anniversary Series and the Padron Traditional line. All Padron cigars are wrapped in Nicaraguan sun-grown Habano tobacco, available in natural or maduro. Experience Padron. For your Padron retailer, call 1-800-453-5635. When Padron is on the band, 
quality is a matter of family honor. Surgeon General Warning. Tobacco use increases the risk of infertility, stillbirth, and low birth weight. America's Alpha Male with Nads of Steel, the General Cigar Cigar Dave. All right, before we get to the National Cigar Litation and Libation Ceremony in just a few minutes, a couple of items before, and I also want to get to this, finish up the uh, last story talking about the male chest feeding pump apparatus. Next segment, we will be heading out to Mott and Hester Deli in the Cigar City. I will speak with Ted Kelly, the proprietor. In honor of Mardi Gras, Fat Tuesday coming up this Tuesday, three days away, we will talk about some Cajun delicacies, specifically his incredible blackened chicken and sausage gumbo. We'll give you the recipe, and we'll also talk about some uh, Cajun dirty rice and some po'boys. Hey, you got to have the right feast, and they all involve meat. Can't have Cajun dishes without some sort of meat and fish as well, especially if you're in the Gulf Coast area. So we'll talk with Ted. Next hour, Cigar Masters Hour will be joined by Willie Herrera, Master Blender at Drew Estate Cigars for the entire hour. And in just a few minutes, I will be lighting up one of his fantastic cigars. That was the Officers Club selection for February for Litation. Now, going back to what I was talking about before we hit the break, a woman by the name of Marie-Claire Springham created a device to chest feed kids a male male chest feeding pump apparatus and in conjunction with this experimental chest feeding pump that she has created she uh, will send out to men or when it gets approved a drug called progestin which will stimulate milk production in men uh, men's boobs and then you put the pump on and the next thing you know you can breastfeed your baby and she said that basically couple of items. She said that it's an empathy tool because men feel like they're being left out and that this will allow men to more better bond with their babies. And I have said, oh, this is nothing more than a feminist dream to further feminize and wussified men. It totally violates the the natural order. And I know of no alpha male that has an urge that says, I have so much empathy for my wife, I want to start breastfeeding my baby. It's a load of nonsense. Now, on Good Morning Britain, the presenters, as they are known, there is a man by the name of Quinton Wilson. He must be a well-known personality in Britain. He was on the panel, and they asked, why would a man do this? Why would a man use a male chest-feeding pump apparatus to breastfeed his baby? Well, I think this is a storm in a B-cup. Oh! Um, I've got... Uh, three kids, and this is not an urge I have ever had. No. I don't know about you, Richard. Never. Spencer. No. Um, but should and you I think have if, had? Should you well, have Well, okay, um, uh, that, that's a point that we, we need to discuss. But if we did a straw poll now, if there's anybody out there who's a bloke uh, who thinks that this is something that is missing in their life, let us know. And I think the results of that will be single figures. I don't think there's a demand for this. I, I think it goes against the natural order. And it, the more we blur these distinctions between, between gender the more messed up we become. 
That's exactly what the feminists want to have happen. They want the lines between males and females to be blurred because they want males to become wussified males. In other words, a feminized version of a man. That is exactly what they want. And by the way, I know if I asked any one of you, any of our tons and tons of alpha males listening right now, how many of you, what percentage of you would want to purchase or want to have a male chest feeding pump apparatus so that you could breastfeed your baby? Do you know what the result would be? 0.00. Let me repeat, 0.00%. No ifs, no ands, no buts. There is something very, very wrong about this. It is a feminist dream, but I can tell you this alpha male and all alpha males, we can spot a load of BS from a blimp in a fog storm, and this is a total crock of BS. With an unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy, it's time for National Cigar Litation Maneuvers. Next hour, Willie Herrera, the master blender behind Drew Estate, will be joining us, and I have in my hand the February 2019 Officers Club selection. In fact, I got a call few days ago, Lee Corso. General, thank you so much for the Officers Club selection. I cannot wait to smoke uh, the Herrera Esteli. I think actually he told me that he smoked one of them, just a few puffs. Thought it was great. Can't wait. And I can tell you, this is a fantastic cigar. It starts with the band. I love the teal, the turquoise background and gold. Just a very elegant band. Willie Herrera has always wanted to be creative and use various tobaccos. And one of the tobaccos he wanted to use for a long time as the star of the show, as the rapper, is the Brazilian Matafina rapper. Wanted to use that. They never had enough of it. It was always primarily used as a binder. He said, I'm going to make this the star of the show. And then I'm going to cover, I'm going to surround the rapper. I'm going to have some Connecticut River Valley broadleaf binder, and then I'm going to have fillers from Nicaragua. And what I want is a flavorful cigar with some sweetness, the medium, medium full category that's not going to be overpowering, but just a lot of flavor. And Willie created this Herrera Esteli Brazilian Maduro that is off the charts. And I have in my hands what they call the Robusto Grande, five and a half inches in length with a 52 ring gauge. You're looking in the nine to about $11, $12 category for the Herrera Esteliz, a fantastic cigar that I will enjoy today. Cigar altering and highly sharpened leaf exposing device. Self-sharpening double-edged stainless steel guillotine, ready. Maximum BTU flame-throwing and heat-producing apparatus. I have a single jet butane flame, little portable litation device, the Cigar Dave R&D Laboratory created, and that's what I will use today. Cigar, Cigar pre-litation checklist complete. No faults detected. Area clear of all enemies of pleasure. Approval to go throttle up in three, two, one. Perfect cut, and as I toast the foot of this cigar, let me tell you exactly what my libation will be. I'm going to enjoy the W.L. Weller Bourbon 12-year-old, reasonably priced, about 25 bucks, but it's uh, made at the same distillery as Buffalo Trace. 
doesn't get a lot of the recognition that Buffalo Trace was uh, does, but it's a fantastic bourbon. So let me puff, rotate here. And as I do that, I'm going to open up my bottle of Weller. Okay, I've got my cigars ready to go. Hmm. I will say, whoops, let me get a better cheers there. That's good. Cheers. Mmm. Wow. Definitely some nice notes of vanilla, almond. Nice, uh, intense, smooth finish. So I've got my Herrera Esteli Brazilian Maduro and my W.L. Weller 12. When we come back, we'll go to Martin Hester Deli. We'll talk gumbo as Mardi Gras is right around the corner. The General is now on Instagram. Follow him for pictures of the latest cigars, libations, and what he's enjoying during the show. <laughs> that could be interesting, and we'll have to block out some faces. Go to Instagram and search Cigar Day. America is under attack. Basic freedoms, privileges, and acts that we would normally take for granted are disappearing each day, including the simple ability to enjoy a cigar. This is Glenn Loop, Executive Director of Cigar Rights of America, CRA. At a time when elected officials should be thinking about education, public safety, and creating jobs, they are actually thinking about smoking bans, new taxes, and regulations of historic proportions on premium cigars. The cigars that provide us with pleasure, relaxation, and fellowship are under attack. We have to stop it. That's why Cigar Rights of America was created, to work for a new political day for cigar enthusiasts across America, to roll back restrictive laws and defeat onerous taxes and regulations that impact everyone from your local cigar shop to your personal humidor. For the price of a few great cigars, be a part of this effort to protect your right to enjoy a cigar without excessive taxation and cumbersome legislation. Go to CigarRights.org. Let's tell the government we've had enough. Join now, CigarRights.org. Cigar connoisseurs and enthusiasts love going into their retailer's humidor and seeing what's new, what's exciting. It's like a kid in a candy store. And we've got a great way that you can enjoy and sample fabulous cigars from incredible manufacturers. It's the Cigar Dave Officers Club. Every month, you will receive three fantastic cigars in an Officers Club Ziploc pouch shipped directly to you for $22.95. Now, in the past year, we've had incredible selections. We had the world of Davidoff, which featured an Avo and a Davidoff Winston Churchill. We've had cigars from A.J. Fernandez, from Rocky Patel, from Placencia, Drew Estate, Sindicato, Fonseca. Incredible cigars that you will love. Become a member of the Officers Club today. Join now. Go to CigarDave.com. Click on Officers Club. $22.95 per month gets you the latest and greatest in the world of cigars. You will absolutely love it. The General Front and Center, I have moved to a Ford Theater of Operations to Mott and Hester Deli in the Cigar City of Tampa, a well-known, long-established hotspot, a who's who, where people come to enjoy fantastic delicacies. And with Mardi Gras around the corner on Tuesday, and Mardi Gras in French means Fat Tuesday, the day before Ash Wednesday, the last night of eating rich foods before the Lenten season, 
Mott and Hester known for their New Orleans Cajun-inspired foods. Best place to go, Ted Kelly. Nothing like an Irishman doing Cajun, <laughs> Cajun delicacies. Hello, Dave. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Now, Ted, you are known for some of your New Orleans and Cajun-inspired dishes. But first, I want to really concentrate on your blackened chicken and sausage gumbo. Gumbo is kind of like a mismatch or a mishmash of all sorts of different items. So tell us how you got inspired by the gumbo because it is a Tampa tradition known world. Listen, we talked about it, I think, four years ago, and you had orders from all across the country, but it's really known here in the area. Yep, Dave, I married a gal whose family is from New Orleans, and her mother showed me how to make gumbo. And uh, there's, a, there's a trick to preparing the roux properly and browning it properly. And I think we've mastered it, and we've been at it for 36 years now. And I will tell you that the gumbo, Ted, that you create is totally different than any gumbo you will get in a can at a store. In fact, one of my favorite restaurants in New Orleans, not a fancy place, is Mother's. Right uh, in the heart of why the convention center, not far from Canal Street, they've got a fabulous gumbo. Ted, yours is right up there with them, the real thing. Dave, that's quite a compliment there. I'm a fan of Mother's myself. I mean, if you go to New Orleans, to me, not the fanciest of places, but absolutely a place you definitely want to head to. Yeah, it's a very authentic place, Dave. When you go to New Orleans, it's a place to go. Like when you come to Tampa, come here. Martin Hester's an institution in Tampa, and Mother's an institution in New Orleans. All right, so Ted, blackened chicken and sausage gumbo. Now, guys like me, I don't want to spend a ton of time creating the recipe. And is this a deal where it's going to take forever and I'm going to have to buy 100 ingredients, or is it relatively easy to, to prepare? Well, it's definitely something you're going to have to take time to prepare. And I think you're better off just coming to see me like you usually do. Yeah, Yeah, well, here's the problem. We've got people listening in Los Angeles that are in Seattle, that are in Buffalo, that are in Washington and Boston. It's a little tough for them just to come down to the Cigar City of Tampa for a bowl of gumbo. Yeah, no, the ingredients they would need, they could find in the local supermarkets where they are. Celery, bell peppers, both red and green, and uh, uh, the white onions. And you chop those and, and saute that in a little bit of oil and build your roux from there. And it's a matter of, of love and time from there. You gotta give that recipe some love and, and let that roux simmer, let that brown. Uh, you make a nice chicken stock and, and bring it up with that. Throw your seafood or throw your blackened chicken and sausage, which is what we do, and serve that over a big plate of rice. Oh, it's, it's heaven. All right, roux, tell me what roux is. Roux is, a, is a, uh, it's the oil and the flour that is the thickening agent. Um, and, and it's a big hallmark of, of Creole cooking, and um, we do a good job with it here. And it, and it needs tender love and care. It's not something that can be rushed. If you're, if you're late getting home from work, again, you're better off coming to see me. It's a hard thing to rush. You have to spend time with it. All right, so we have many of our alphas who are love to cook, love to get in and grill, create their own delicacies. So let's assume somebody wants to do that. The first thing you said, you've got to get onions, you've got to get celery. What else? And, and red and green bell peppers. Red and green bell peppers. So tell me what happens with that. Yeah, we saute those peppers and, and, and onions and celery and oil, the holy trinity. Spend a little time with that. Let those get tender. And the, and the onions and the celery tend to start getting clear when they're they're finished cooking at that point i add the roux for the flour okay so when you say roux for the flour so you add flour and what chicken stock i I, I add you we add the flour and and at that point it mixes with the oil and it it forms a paste at that point you need to turn the heat down and let that paste 
brown properly uh, and you kind of cook the floury taste out of the roux and it, it, it just builds flavor as you reduce that into a, into a, a thicker, browner paste of which you then re- can reconstitute back up with, with chicken stock and, and, and you can build your soup from there or your gumbo from there and you can have it as thick as you want by adding uh, less chicken stock or more runny if you want it with a little more chicken stock and then you can throw I, I blackened chicken with our own blackened seasoning and uh, chicken breast and we put, chop and put those in and we also put some uh, uh, different andouille sausage in there that, that is a smoked sausage that's a, that's a Creole sausage that helps give it a little bit of kick it does give it some kick, especially on the back end. But let me let me ask you this. So you've got this paste. Do you have to keep stirring that until it gets very thick? Yeah, you wanna you wanna keep it moving. You don't want it to you want it to stick a little bit and get a little bit of caramelization going, but you don't want it to, to you don't want your flame up too high. You don't want that to blacken. You want that to brown and And, and you're constantly and, stirring it. And you're constantly with a with a whisk, yeah. Okay, so how long does that roughly take until you get that uh, that nice paste? You know, the batches that we do here on a big batch, it takes about, you know, about 45 minutes to an hour to get that, that roux looking the color that I like. So you're constantly stirring that? Yeah, it's got to stand there and stir it, Dave. Okay, so then once you, it, it becomes that nice paste, then you add chicken stock. Then I bring it up with a little chicken stock, and, and you can see it'll start to thin out. And, uh, you know, you just got to work with it and, and, and see where you like it. Uh, it will thicken as you cool it off and go to heat it back up. It thickens even more. That that roux that you put in there is a thickening agent, and every time you, you heat that sauce or that soup or that gumbo, it's going to end up being very, very thick, so you should have some extra chicken stock on the side and add that. You can't dump it all in at one time. You have to add it slowly. Right. Otherwise, you could it could become too juicy, too liquidy. Well, it... it, it it can break the roux and you end up with the flour and the oil separated again. So, Gotcha. Now, in terms of chicken and sausage, you can use chicken and sausage. You can put in, if you want, crab. You can put in seafood. Uh, there's really no limit as to what you want to put steak, oysters, anything you want. Yep. yep. You can. But it, it, that's the nice thing about gumbo. Go clear out your refrigerator. You have some old chicken left over. If you have a pork chop, you can cut those pork chops up, you know, without the bone. Uh, Seafood. You can put little chunks of grouper in there. You can put shrimp. Uh, don't put stone crab. Way, way too expensive of delicacy to put waste, in gumbo. Don't waste the stone crabs <laughs> in the gumbo, yeah. Eat those first. All right, and then basically you just kind of let it, uh, you keep it on low heat, let, let it simmer, yeah, and then you yeah. have yourself a, a nice, almost like a nice stew. Yep. At that point, you can season the mix that you have and, and, and bring it up to the right heat level that you're comfortable with, uh, the right amount of salt, and... Uh, you know, work with it and, and, and get it to your liking. And, um, again, cook some rice up and pour that over the top, and you're good to go. And really, it's just experimentation. No right, no wrong. Just keep trying it until you get it right. So it's really not that difficult. It's a little time-consuming because when you're stirring that roux to make that paste, you're talking 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah, at home, it might not take you that long. You're not probably making 10 gallons of gumbo unless you're opening up a restaurant here. So if you were doing it at home, Give us an idea of how many onions, bell peppers, uh, what was the other ingredient? Yeah, I would use one large, nice onion, chopped fine, uh, one stalk of celery, and uh, maybe a red and a green bell pepper. And that's it? That's it. If you're going to cook at home. And how much flour? Yeah, with, to that mix, I, I, you might use like a quarter cup of, of vegetable oil to saute those vegetables in. And then I try to match 
the same amount of flour to the oil that I put in. I would put in a quarter cup of flour, maybe just a tiny bit less. And then again, the chicken stock, you just add, once you get your roux, the consistency that you like, you can add that chicken stock and bring it up to the level of, of smoothest that you want. You can have it very thin and runny if you like a thin soup, or you can have it a lot thicker if you'd like. I'm almost tempted to go home and make it, but there's no way. I'd rather just come to you here at Mott & Hester Deli, let you do all the work. Dave will save your table in the corner for you every day, okay? That, listen, that's where the couple, that's where the main man, that's where the five-star eats. That's that is general, my table. That's the general's table. Come by. And somebody comes in, you kick them out. Yep. That's my table, and that's the end of that. And you know why I always face kind of outward? Because, you know... The old mob guys would always look out. So if anybody came to attack like an enemy of pleasure, yeah. you're ready to go. If you're packing heat, you can take care of the problem. Any sickening liberal come rolling up on you. Right? <laughs> we don't allow those here at Martin Hester. Are you kidding? Anywhere near my table. Ted Kelly, the uh, proprietor of Martin Hester Deli here in the Cigar City of Tampa with Mardi Gras right around the corner on Tuesday. Fat Tuesday, it's known, the day before Ash Wednesday, last night of eating rich, delicious foods before the Lenten season. There's a couple of other New Orleans or Cajun-inspired dishes I want to get to. First up, a po' boy. What's a po' boy? Po' boy is their name for a sandwich, a grinder. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fried shrimp sandwich served on their French bread that they're known very famous for in New Orleans, and uh, we try to replicate that with the French bread and the uh, materials that are available. We're still in the Gulf of Mexico here. We get nice shrimp here, and it's a fried shrimp. Po' boy is a sandwich with the shrimp, and you add lettuce and tomato and your choice of, of topping. They use mayonnaise in New Orleans. We bump it up and put tartar or cocktail sauce on ours. Um, they're delicious. Can't go wrong. And the last thing I want to talk about is your famous Creole dirty rice. Mother's makes a dirty rice that is fantastic. You can never go wrong. I love rice. I love chicken. I love some spiciness. And you've got, you could have that here five days a week, Ted, but you only save it for Fridays. Yep. We try to make it special and, and, and make people line up for it. And they do. It's a big hit around here on, on Friday afternoons for us. And um, love to have anybody come by and try it sometime. It's a very, very spicy dish that we make with rice that you, you again, make a, a little side dish with the vegetables and that dish also, the dirty rice mix has eggplant, it has mushrooms, it has ground beef, a lot of crushed red pepper. And again, you can, you can spice it up to your liking. Uh, we kind of like it, we kind of like it's kind of hot here, so. Uh, it's got some heat, there's no doubt. Listen, we're alphas that come in here. We're not wussified betas. If there were wussified betas, there would be no heat whatsoever, no spiciness, it would be bland. But life is too short for bland. Yep, I agree with you, Dave. All right, Ted Kelly, the proprietor of Mott & Hester Deli. We gave you his world-famous recipe for his blackened chicken and sausage gumbo, Creole dirty rice, the po' boys. Can't go wrong with Mardi Gras around the corner. And I can tell you one thing. Now I'm getting very, very hungry. And looking at this giant 10-gallon vat of gumbo, I think I may have to, right as soon as the show is done, as as Liz Warren, Elizabeth Warren would say, I'm going to... Have me a bowl or get me a bowl with a beer of that great, fantastic gumbo. Hour two of the Cigar Dave Show comes your way next. I'm going to have a little bit of gumbo here before we start the next hour. It will be our Cigar Masters Hour, and we will be joined by Willie Herrera, master blender at Drew Estate Cigar. We'll be talking about his Esteli Herrera series, including the Esteli Herrera Brazilian Maduro 
That was the, or is, the February 2019 Officers Club selection. Much more coming your way. Keep your cigar lit. Keep your libation brim full to the top and make sure you have some nice gumbo to get ready to celebrate Mardi Gras right around the corner. This is AMEM, the Alpha Male Entertainment Network. from Humidor 1A in the cigar city of Tampa, Florida, USA. Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show, your weekly excursion into the world of cigars, spirits, and diversions. The cigar and pleasure-friendly hotlines are open. 877-DAVE-007. Now, fire up a cigar and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time. For the General, General Cigar, Cigar Dave. As I touch up my Herrera Esteli Brazilian Maduro. Outstanding taste, outstanding flavor. And as we said in our number one for our Cigar Masters Hour, we'll be joined by Willie Herrera of Drew Estate Cigars in just one moment. But if you are not a member of the Officers Club, and not enjoying this incredible February 2019 selection, what are you waiting for? Go to CigarDave.com right now because you get fantastic selections. In fact, got a call from Lee Corso, who is a member of the Officers Club. Well, I comp him. Good friend of the show. And he said, General, just smoked that new Esteli Herrera. Love it. Tell me about it. So we had a long conversation about it, and the man that is behind that cigar Joins us front and center, our number two of the Cigar Dave Show as we welcome you back. Willie Herrera joining us down from El Titan de Bronze down on Cayocho in Little Havana, Miami. Willie, great to have you on, my friend. Thank you, thank you. Good to be on, man. Thanks for having me. And I'm glad you got dressed up for the occasion today, by the way, Willie. (laughs) (laughs) Got all dressed up, did my hair, man. I'm telling you. Well, listen. We sent the makeup artist. We sent we sent the uh, the stylist. You know, we're 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 top shelf. We're big budget here at the Cigar Dave Show. But Willie, you and I have known each other a long time, and actually met you through your mother-in-law, Sandy Cobus, who owns El Titan de Bronze, and you were working there. But talk about how you got into the cigar industry, your background. Everybody knows now that you're the master blender and oversee many of the operations over at Drew Estate. But tell us how you got into the cigar industry way back. So I initially got started here basically helping out with the factory. So like you mentioned, Sandy's the owner of El Titan. But uh, early on, it was her parents, Carlos and Marta, who were running the operation. She was uh, working in another business. Um, so on on a week where the old man, Carlos, had gotten sick, uh, they needed a male figure here to help out. And so I ended up taking a week off of vacation for, for, for my real job, which was banking. I have been at that point about seven years in banking. So I took a week vacation, worked a whole week here, and two weeks later I quit the bank and started full-time here. <laughs> Just like that. So, Willie, were you a vice president at the bank? Because everybody's no. a vice president at a bank. I don't care no, what you no, are. No, man. Everybody's I, I a VP. A peon. I was a peon. I started off. <laughs> yeah, but even peons are, are vice the, presidents. Uh, 
and then a head tell and then I went into loans and at that time I was I was in loan processing loans and stuff and uh, you know I just fell in love with the industry I mean I had always been a smoker from a very early right. age uh, I really didn't know what I was smoking I knew what I liked and um, right. but I had no idea of what the culture was and the type of of people you dealt with who were these smokers and after a week here and 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 dealing with you know all these consumers these cigar enthusiasts uh shop owners so on and so forth i was like man this is so this is so much more relaxing than working in a bank <laughs> everybody came in well, happy nobody exactly. was ever upset you know, it was great, man. And like I said, I put in my after that week, I put in my two weeks and I started full time here. So that you had never blended before. You really never. were just kind of introduced to cigars just through your mother in law and really through that side of the family, knowing that they had that connection with El Titan de Bronze. So you never really grew up in the cigar industry, never no. blended, never rolled cigars. That was like never. your first introduction. That was it. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. And then how I get into the whole blending part is so like i said i have been smoking for a number of years already um but that's all i knew was i like this type of cigar i do not like this type of cigar so when i started full-time here uh, the they what have year was that really two that was what in year was that two, uh, man that was in the early 2000s okay 2002 2003 somewhere around there all right um i knew that the the two cigars that they had here their two cigars weren't for me they they just didn't hit me right i, I wasn't crazy about them so i was constantly buying cigars and that's what i would smoke here in the factory well as you could imagine you know older cuban general uh, gentlemen and very proud of what they're making here and you know at first they never said anything but after a while they started you know why are you smoking this and why are you not smoking ours and so on and so right. forth so to uh no longer here you know uh i taught myself how to roll i would look at our rollers and i would go and sit down and grab tobacco and then i'll stand up look at them again what are they doing how they're doing it i would go back and sit down and i just started making cigars learning how to make a cigar how to fill a mold uh, how to make a smokable cigar uh you know that you could draw it wasn't too tight or wasn't too loose then i learned how to put the wrapper on and then once i knew how to make the full you know the whole thing from start to finish Every day I would blend stuff. Every day I would go into the room and grab tobaccos, make a tabacchiao, smoke it, see what it tasted like, and then start just make combinations. Okay, I think this will go good with this. I think this will work well with that. And that's really how it all started for me, um, just making stuff every day. And because we're in Little Havana, uh, there's a lot of foot traffic. A lot of people want to see what Little Havana is. Plus, at that time, you know, you had uh, El Credito, uh, Ernesto Pérez Carrillo, La Gloria Cubana, across the street from us. Uh, right next to them was, uh, at the time, uh, El Rey de los Havano, which is my father's cigars today. Right. Uh, so you had a lot of people coming over here. Uh, to Little Havana to visit all these factories uh, 
that you know they were coming out with great cigars and great reviews, so on and so forth. So, as a result, a lot of people would cross the street to our little factory and see what we were about. And then a lot of the guys that came in and gals that came in, you know, I would talk to them because I, you know I was working the counter as well. And and if it wasn't your, you know, I oh I'm looking for a gift for you know my boss or I'm looking for a cigar as you know like memorabilia or so on and so forth, uh, I would I would get a feel for the person and and if to me they sounded like they, they they were the smoker. I'm like hold on a second, and then I go in the back and grab something I have been working on and give it to them and let me know what you think. I would say, and a week later, two weeks later, I would get a phone call. And so still to, to this day, a lot of the house cigars that we still make are from a lot of those visits that came in visiting the factory. And I gave them something I had been working on. They loved it. And next thing you know, they were either the managers of a shop, the owners of a shop. And boom, you know, we started making a lot of private label stuff. And uh, that's, that's, that's basically how it started for me. You know, uh, just working with stuff to, in order to create something that I liked. For so me, about to fifteen have years ago. So you basically about fifteen years ago walk in to El Titan de Bronze, know nothing about the cigar industry, have never rolled a cigar, never blended a cigar, and over a matter of years, you end up learning to roll cigars, which is incredible. And there's some great craftsmen. Uh, torsadors that are down at El Titan de Bronze, and then. Then you learn how to blend, and you were there for, or you still are there technically for 15 years. And all of a sudden now, you are well known in the industry where El Titan de Bronze becomes the epicenter of the Miami boutique cigar industry because El Credito, under Ernesto Perez Carrillo, he sells it. They're no longer really, I don't think they are manufacturing cigars in Miami anymore across the street from you. I think that's that's done, no. correct? We're, we're, we're the it. only factory in Little Havana. I believe my father has a small operation in their warehouses in the, in the Doral. But right. in you... Little Havana, we are the only ones uh, producing cigars here in Miami, as far as so, I know. Right, and it is. And you've expanded. It's become. You know, you're making for La Polina. You're making for uh, Chinook uh, Cellar. Uh, yeah. Brian makes great cigars, and of course, the famed El Titan de Bronze. Uh, yeah. What's that? And great wine. And great wine. That's right. Absolutely great wine over in California. So you've mm-hmm. really become this the epicenter, and all these people come in, and then Jonathan Drew of Drew Estates comes in and they want to make a cigar with you no no they didn't want to make a cigar with us uh, so in 2000 i thought initially 2000, jd told me that that they wanted to that they were talking about making a cigar they were broaching it with you no the the original concept was to that that part was something that came out later on but after i was already on board so in in late 2009 2010 we uh, start talks about what I thought about joining Drew Estate and basically having what I have here at Drew Estate. Kind of have, you know, uh, the, the concept was I would have a small group of boncheros and roleras. I would train them to make the cigars how we do them here, which is, you know, very different from the typical cigars that are made in Nicaragua. You know, we would do, uh, we here, 
everything is entubado, everything has the mounted heads, the triple seam caps, which at Nicaragua and the Dominican, you really don't see that. It's, it's you know, the wrapper goes up all the way up, and it's, it's basically all one piece. So I talked the concept over with Sandy, my wife, and said, hey, what do you think? You know, they want me to move over there and kind of take it to the next level. And, you know, before I finished, they have packed my bags. <laughs> and I was that off. That was it. You're and off. I started uh, with them in 2011 is when I started with Jewish State. So 2011, and you moved to Nicaragua. For the first year and a half, yes. I was, in, I was living in Nicaragua. Uh, I was there Monday through Friday. I would come back on either Saturday morning or Friday night. And I would fly back either Sunday afternoon or Monday morning. And that gotcha. went on for a year and a half. Our guest is Willie Herrera, master blender for Drew Estate Cigars. And the February 2019 Officers Club selection was and is, although we're now out of February, but is uh, the Esteli Herrera Brazilian Maduro, and we will talk about that in just a few minutes with Willie. So, Willie, you become their master blender. You come down, and what does Jonathan Drew, what does Snacky, as he's known, Big Snacky, what does he tell you? What are your duties? What do you do when you get down to Nicaragua? He said, create a cigar. Learn the tobaccos. Take your time. Uh, create something you love, and we'll go from there. And so I just started working and, and looking at the enormous amount of tobacco that Drew Estate had, has. And imagine, you've been here. You've seen how small we are. At right. the time I left, we had probably six different types of tobaccos. I get to Drew Estate and, you know, it's hundreds of, of, of types of tobaccos. So I needed to figure out what type of cigar did I want to uh, release what type of cigar did i want to bring on you know uh, to drew estate something different something unique something you know that fit you know that fitted me what 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 i was doing out of a titang and um and the harassed was born and that's where it began now are you still involved on the other blends at drew estate or are you strictly just the uh esteli herrera that's it well, after the release of the Norteño, which would have been, I think it was in 2000, in late 2013, 2014, they made me the master, that's when they made me the master blender for Drew Estate. Up to that point, I was only working on Herrera brands. After the Norteño <clears throat> is when they, they made me the blender for the whole company. So after that, everything that comes out from Drew Estate uh, starts with me, me and the team in Nicaragua. Um, and so I'm involved with all of the Herrera brands still, plus everything new that you see coming out. Uh, the first one uh, would have been the Undercrown Shade. was the very first cigar for Drew Estate that didn't fall under the Herrera Stelli brand. And that was an interesting cigar because I remember when that, I think that was that launched this past IPCPR or the year before. I'm trying to remember which, which year. No, the shade came out, I want to say about Is that 2017 or 2018? No, before. It was either 16 was it before? or 17. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, yeah, I think it was around 2007. I'm almost positive it was 2017 because I remember Jonathan came up to me and he said, you got to try this undercrown shade. It's totally different from our other undercrowns. Right. And even though it's a Connecticut, it's still loaded with flavor. It's a very different taste complexion. He cut it right there for me. I said, I'll smoke it later. He goes, brother, you got to smoke it right now. I mean, he wouldn't let me go. He said, you got to smoke it right now. I said, all right, we smoked it right now. It was very, very nice. A lot of flavor on that and Mm -hmm. very different. More on the medium bodied, very smooth, but very, very flavorful and a totally different complexion than the original Undercrown, the Undercrown Sun Grown, and the Undercrown Maduro. But that Undercrown now has really developed into a very nice line with a very nice medium, medium full flavor profile. But every one, whether it's the Maduro or the Shade or the Sun Grown, they all have very slight taste nuances that make it very different from each one. Yeah, well, that was my whole goal was create diversity within that brand. it's they all three are very unique blends, different tobaccos, you know, very unique. And so my goal is always to create something new to give a new experience to the smoker. I, I, I'm not a believer in just put a different wrapper on the same guts of a cigar and call it something new. Uh, I like, you know, we're going to do a new a new cigar. We're going to do a new cigar, you know, and all three are different. All three are very, very different. Like you said, it's uh it's it's smooth yet full of flavor it has nice spice you know the sun grown is a little beefier a different kind of spice and then the maduro is just robust in your face you know earthy rich complex um you know and that that's my goal is always to come up with a new cigar for for this for the smoker to experience something new every single cigar well, Willie, I can tell you we were both wrong on when the Undercrown Shade was launched. And that tells you, you can see there's so many cigars that you have in the portfolio. And actually, oh, it's hard to believe it was 2015. And I can't oh, believe that. I, it, it, wow. I can't believe that it's going on now four years that the Undercrown Shade was released. Because to me, I still think of it, again, as a relatively new cigar. So the Undercrown uh, Shade you were involved with. And let's talk about some of the others, specifically under your purview when you first got there. You talked about the Herrera Esteli uh, Norteño, but the first one was the yes. Habano, was it not? Or was yes, it the, the Habano. Habano was the very the first one. <clears throat> okay. Then, so let's talk about that because that first Habano <clears throat> that was really the first time where JD basically let you loose and said create something. So tell us what you were looking to create. What went into that uh, when you when you blended that particular cigar? I was trying to bring out the 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 what Miami was known for. You know, Miami. While I was here at El Titan, you know, Miami cigars that were coming out of Miami were known for that spiciness. Were known for, you know, that 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 punch, but yet smooth and balanced uh a lot of habanos were getting great reviews up to that point um and it was was and still is my favorite rapper is habano ecuador it it just brings so much to a cigar and it, it just blends so well with different types of tobaccos so what i was trying to bring out with that first cigar was kind of that miami feel that that you know that el titan uh, kind of feel that people knew El Titan what their cigars were were like, 
And I wanted to bring kind of that flavor because at that time, Drew Estate really didn't have anything Habano. Drew Estate was basically a lot of Maduros. They had the Undercrown Maduro. They had the Liga Privada. They had the T-52. They had the Nica Rusticas. You know, everything was concentrated about Maduros and just very hairy, uh, heavy leaves. And so I wanted to bring something very different to the portfolio. And then you brought in the uh, Herrera Esteli Habano. And again, that's a nice, to me, a medium-bodied cigar, not overpowering. Correct. And I think, and tell me if I'm, I'm right, because knowing your palate, Willie, you like a lot of flavor, but you don't like a cigar that's going to be strong or harsh or bitter that's really going to knock you down and Correct. not a pleasant experience. Correct. 100%. Yeah. And that, 100%. you know, it's very, it's very interesting because I know that, when I talked to Jonathan Drew, founder of Drew Estate Cigars, you know, when he told me initially when he brought you on, he said, hey, I'm not going to give Willie any boundaries, no limits. I'm basically saying, do your thing. Just go and yeah. create something. And he didn't really put any shackles or say, no, no, I want you to do a Maduro. I want you to do this. It wasn't the case. He really gave you a lot of artistic freedom. Doors were open, man. The the only thing, and we joke about it, and, and it kind of is a, is a, for, for another cigar that eventually came out, the only thing he said I could not look at was broadleaf. <laughs> that was broadleaf it. Broadleaf wrapper. <clears throat> and why because, was that? Because at the time, we really couldn't get enough broadleaf for the Liga Privada, number nine. You know? And so that was the only tobacco he said, you have, you have free reign over all the tobacco in this warehouse. Just... Don't look at Broadleaf. <laughs> so, That's it. Till we can get Broadleaf more. Then you can look at the, it. Right, right. And then when um, in 2000, I want to say 2000 and when 2019 now, 18, I think it was 15 or 16, I, I uh, created my first Herestoli TAA cigar for TAA. For the Tobacconist Association of America. Correct. And at, at, by that time, we had more tobacco, more broadleaf. And that was the first time I was allowed to use broadleaf. So he basically, uh, uh, he, he took the uh, broadleaf restriction off and yes. he created that particular <laughs> cigar. <laughs> Willie Herrera, the master blender of Drew Estate Cigar, is our guest on our Cigar Masters Hour. When we come back, we'll talk with Willie about the Herrera Esteli Norteño the Herrera Esteli Brazilian Maduro, the February 2019 Officers Club selection. Interesting story because Brazilian Matafina, one of the great tobaccos out there. We'll get to that much more with Willie Herrera. The General is always on Twitter, delivering breaking news, giving you the latest intel on cigars, and battling the enemies of pleasure. Chat with the General now at Cigar Dave Show. In 1964, Jose O. Padron began rolling cigars bearing his name in modest surroundings with one guiding principle, always focus on quality, never on quantity. Nearly 40 years later, Padron cigars are recognized for their superior taste and majestic construction. The result of Padron controlling all aspects of the cigar making process, including planting their own seeds, growing and curing their own tobacco, and constantly supervising the rolling room. 
to Wall Street, it is called vertical integration. To the Padron family, it's called making great cigars. The Padron lines include the Padron 1964 Anniversary Series and the Padron Traditional line. All Padron cigars are wrapped in Nicaraguan sun-grown Habano tobacco, available in natural or maduro. Experience Padron. For your Padron retailer, call 1-800-453-5635. When Padron is on the band, quality is a matter of family honor. Surgeon General Warning. Tobacco use increases the risk of infertility, stillbirth, and low birth weight. your rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of pleasure. It's the General Cigar Dave. And when we talk pleasure, we talk alpha male good life maneuvers, and that includes cigars, spirits, delicacies, grilling, dames, all the alpha male pleasure maneuvers that drive the enemies of pleasure absolutely crazy. Our Cigar Master's Hour continues. Willie Herrera, master blender of Drew Estate Cigars, joining us from his other home in Miami at El Titan de Bronze, where they are currently producing the Herrera Esteli Miami Cigars. So that's a perfect segue for us, Willie, since you're in Miami right now. Let's talk about that Herrera Esteli Miami. You've been working on that for a long time. I have been. You know, initially... That cigar came out as a limited release. Um, every year, uh, I would always release a limited, uh, a limited size in one of the lines. The first line that I did the uh, the limited release was in the original Harestli uh, Habano, which was a Lancero size that came out in 2014. Then the second limited release I did was the Churchill in the Norteño line. Then that came out in 2015. And then uh, the, the, the next limited release I wanted to do was something completely different, completely uh, new, which was have a cigar made in Miami at El Titan de Bronze, where it all started for me, and made with the tobaccos that we use at El Titan de Bronze. And so the the cigar was born. It was originally released in one size, just like all the other ones, in a Corona size. And shortly after the, the release of the cigar, we started talks on uh, simplifying and kind of streamlining all of the Herestali packaging. That, with the fact that the cigar was doing so well, we decided to add the other four sizes to that Herestali Miami blend. So now you have all five sizes available across the board, Norteño, Herestali Albano, and the Herestali Miami. You have all five sizes available in the same style box, same count box, and just really streamlined the packaging and made it easier for the consumers to identify the products uh, for the shop owners, for the shop managers, you know, for stores to just 
showcased the product much easier. Easier. Uh, it was very. It was all over the place before, especially with Norteño. You had 10-count box. You had a 25-count box. You had a 50-count box. It was just all over the place. So you standardized everything. And I'll tell you, Willie, I love a Corona size. Toro's my favorite size, but I just enjoy, to me, when you look at a Corona, it's that classic Cuban Vitola, that nice size, it just fits nicely in the hand. It's a pleasant cigar to enjoy. You don't need a ton of time. And, uh, in fact, many of the blenders, you know this, they'll use a Corona as the guide, as the basis when they're blending cigars. Uh, But I just find it to be a very nice size. You don't see the Coronas as much, as often as you used to. But staying in that line, talking about your affinity for Ecuadorian Habano wrapper, on the Esteli Herrera Miami, you used a, an Ecuadorian Habano. However, you used an Oscuro wrapper, so almost Correct. darker than a Maduro, just a really, really dark, almost a black wrapper with a uh, rich Ecuadorian Sumatra binder and some uh, fillers from the Dominican and Nicaragua. A very, very nice cigar. And I think that cigar, you hit it right on the head. That really is reminiscent of the old Cuban, the old Miami type of cigars that that people, you know, when they would go down to Little Havana, that's what they would smoke. And the guy that right. really, there are two people that really made that Ecuadorian Habano wrapper popular down in Miami. Uh, and prim- the primary one is Ernesto Perez Carrillo from El Credito. He really right. took, a loving, took a liking to that wrapper. And you follow in that tradition. You know, I'm just trying to follow in the footsteps, man. I mean, these guys are all legends, and, you know, I, I enjoy their cigars very much. And, you know, the beauty of this is every every manufacturer has their own style of cigar. And, you know, depending on your mood and what you're in the mood for, you could go for X or you could go for Y, you could go for Z, because everyone is going to hit you different, and, and they all smoke different, you know? But the end result is, or at the end of the day, you know, you still get that flavor from that wrapper and you know it's there. And you just, you know, when you love it, you love it. You know what I mean? And you just want to put it together with different insights to create a different experience for another Habano lover, you know? All right. Interesting story, Willie, I will share with you. I'm down visiting Sandy, I don't know, a couple of years ago. And, you know, of course, we walk into the humidor where all these cigars are aging and I see this beautiful, some beautiful bundles of cigars, the Coronas. I said, Sandy, I'm gonna let me let me take a couple of these. I got to try these. And she's like, You can't touch those. Those are Willie's cigars. Those are the Herrera Esteli Miamis. You can't touch them. He'll kill me. I said, Sandy, trust me. Willie's gonna be fine. No problem. You get in trouble, I'll come to your defense. No worries. But very protective of those cigars, Willie. He's very sure enough, protective. <laughs> that's right. I fired one up. And, of course, before I left, I said, this is great. I said, Sandy, I'm not leaving. i got to take a few more. She's like, okay. But don't tell Willie. Well, I just told you, Willie. But she is very protective. You know, it's almost like, uh, you know, guards with Uzis guarding the, oh, yeah. uh, the humidor for you. But when I smoked it, I lit it right up. Again, that Corona size. Loved it instantly. Just a beautiful cigar, beautiful blend, just very smooth all the way around, not overpowering. And those cigars, and I know with El Titan de Bronze, you're at maximum capacity at that factory. And you have what now? I know you've expanded. How many rollers do you have at El Titan de Bronze now? We have 10 rollers now. Okay, 10. 10 so that's yeah. still not a ton compared to the, you know, how many you have. Because in Nicaragua, you have what? 
A couple of hundred? I, 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 at Drew Estate, I think we are, we're a little over 250. 250. So you're yeah. talking about 250 to 10 and very, very limited. So that cigar, you don't, if it's on the shelf, it doesn't stick around very long. What's the suggested retail of the Esteli Herrera Miami? I believe they go from 9 to 12, I want to say. I'm not 100% because thankfully I don't have to worry with numbers and I don't have to worry about sales. I have to worry about tobacco and blends. <laughs> so, right. And, and when that's I on believe. the shelf, when they're, I mean, you know, most retailers, if they get a couple of boxes, they're lucky. There's just not that much capacity. Yeah, no, they, they move, you know, uh, they move quick. And like a lot of the stuff that we, that comes out of here, you know, a lot of uh, the, the warp cigars, Kyle's stuff. Uh, La Palina stuff you mentioned, Cornelius and Anthony's you mentioned, the the Padilla 8 and 11 that he brought back that's coming out of here as well. It, you're right. It does not stick around on the shelves and shops. It it, it, it it goes out by really quick. And it's real funny because of that. A lot of people think that, oh, I'm in Miami. I just go and get them at the factory they're made. And to, to the story you're making about being very protective, People leave very sad because he's like, oh, no, you, you can't, you can't, I can't, I can't. <laughs> they want to grab, you know, warped or they want to grab this one or that one. And no, they, it, she won't. She won't well, Willie, for this general, Sandy will. Okay, I get special treatment down there. I mean, is my picture still up as soon as you walk in? Is it still at El Titan de Bronze or did Sandy take yeah, it down? Absolutely. absolutely. It's still and, there? And the, box, and the box that you signed. That's right. I remember that was a long time. That's got to be. I'm trying to remember, Willie. That's got to be Oof. ten plus years ago. I signed that. Easily. You were there e- easily. 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 Yeah, time because flies. I've been yep. with Drew eight years is going to be already. Yeah, and that it's was easily way ten years. Before, ten plus. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yep. 100%. That's before you expanded uh, and took the space right next door when you That's had, right. I think at the time, maybe four or five rollers. I mean, that was it. Four. So it's really. And that by the way, it. if you could get another 30 rollers, you could easily make all those cigars because the demand is out there, as you know. People, there's still a romance for a cigar made in Miami or Tampa. There still is something very special about that. And Absolutely. it's tough to put a finger on, but I just think people, the fact that tourists can come in, it's easy for them to travel to, say, yep. Miami or Tampa compared to the you know, Nicaragua or Honduras or the Dominican, where they see it. There's real, there's a, a big romance with that. And I'm glad to see that El Titan de Bronze is doing very well because it's a shame when El Credito, where Ernesto used to make those cigars, General Cigar took them over, and they're no longer making cigars there. Mm-hmm. And there's no longer a storefront for my my father's cigars. They're now more of in a in a warehouse area where they're they're rolling their Miami cigars. So you're really the last vestige of that old Buckeye type of of hand rolled cigar factory. Yeah, we are, man, and it's sad. Like you said, it's sad when I look out the window. And you see, you know, a dollar store where a, a credito used to be. Or you see a, 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 an eyeglass place where my father used to be. You know, it's sad. It really is. You walk by there and you no longer see the rollers. You no longer see them moving the bales of tobacco from one uh, store to the other to pass it out to the rollers. And it's it's just crazy how everything changes with time, you know. And it's... Uh, I tell people all the time when I kind of explain what Little Havana is when I'm out on the road, it's Little Havana is not what it was 15 years ago. You know, Little no, Havana is, 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 is changing. It's changing. It's a double-edged sword. It's, it's, it's changing. It's bringing more business to the community. 
but it's losing its characteristics, its flavor, its you know, its its identity. You know, you got clubs, you have these uh, uh, the, those uh, what do they call them? Those fusion type restaurants, you know, and you have this and you have that. But what Little Havana was, it no longer is. You know, you got condos and art galleries. It's just a different vibe now. You know, it's interesting you bring that up, Willie, because Miami Beach, as a kid, I always went, growing up in Buffalo, would always go with my grandparents or my parents. Yep. We'd always go to Wolfie's and Pumpernick's, you know, those those great yep. delis. And you you yep. don't have that anymore. It's gone. No. It has been Not changed. Gone. The only remnant of old Miami Beach still is Joe Stone Crab. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And, yep. and like you just said, I remember as a kid every weekend going with my mom and my brother to Miami Beach, parking on the side. You had all the buildings like in, you see in the scene of Scarface, the old people on the rocking chairs in the front in the porch of all the different hotels. That None of that exists anymore. It's all yeah. gone. No, it's and all I remember gone. even when I started this show, going to be 24 years ago, I would go down to Miami. I would park on Cayocho, uh, put enough money in the meter for, you know, like three hours, and I'd hit... Yeah. Five, you know, cigar manufacturers all within yeah. a few blocks. Those days are long gone. Yeah. And it is really sad. Basically, Ernesto still has, uh, you know, his offices in Little Havana. There's El Titan de Bronze, and then you have Padron. And that's pretty that's much it. it. And yes, it's, that's it's, it. Yep. And I know when the Padrones did their building, they said, I know that uh, Jose O. Padron said, we're not going anywhere. We're going to build right where it all began. We're staying in Little Havana. This is what was good to us. And I commend him for that, and same thing with Sandy, because it wouldn't be the same if, look, you could easily get space in a warehouse district somewhere near Doral or near the airport. It just wouldn't be mm -hmm. the same. Of course. Of totally, course. totally it, different. It will, lose, it will lose its flavor, you know what I mean, and its authenticity. And like you said, that romance would not be there anymore, you know. I agree. All right, Willie Herrera, master blender, Drew Estate, the man behind the... Herrera Esteli line of cigars. When we come back for our final and concluding segment of this edition of the Cigar Dave Show, we will talk with Willie about the Herrera Esteli Norteño and the February 2019 Officers Club selection of the Herrera Esteli Brazilian Maduro. Never miss a minute of the show when you download the Cigar Dave mobile app. For Apple, Android, and Kindle devices, you can listen to our 24-7 continuous stream of the latest show or download the recent podcasts to listen to anytime on your mobile device. Get the Cigar Dave mobile app in the App Store. Search Cigar Dave. Hi, this is Rocky Patel. If you're a beginner, or if you just enjoy a great mild cigar like I do in the morning, I suggest you try the Vintage 99. This seven-year-old Connecticut wrapper delivers a creamy, mild, smooth flavor. It's very, very balanced on your palate, and it absolutely is delightful. Tons of flavor, a perfect draw, and an incredible ash. This cigar is smooth, it will entice you to enjoying more and more of the Vintage 99s. It's just a nice, great, balanced, smooth cigar. Look for it, the oldest Connecticut shape in the market today. I'm Rocky Patel, and I promise you, nobody works harder than we do to make you a great quality cigar. 
Come visit us at RockyPatel.com. Surgeon General warning, cigar smoking can cause cancer and heart disease. Cigar connoisseurs and enthusiasts love going into their retailer's humidor and seeing what's new, what's exciting. It's like a kid in a candy store. And we've got a great way that you can enjoy and sample fabulous cigars from incredible manufacturers. It's the Cigar Dave Officers Club. Every month, you will receive three fantastic cigars in an Officers Club Ziploc pouch shipped directly to you for $22.95. Now, in the past year, we've had incredible selections. We had the world of Davidoff, which featured an Avo and a Davidoff Winston Churchill. We've had cigars from A.J. Fernandez, from Rocky Patel, from Placencia, Drew Estate, Syndicato, Fonseca. Incredible cigars that you will love. Become a member of the Officers Club today. Join now. Go to CigarDave.com. Click on Officers Club. $22.95 per month gets you the latest and greatest in the world of cigars. You will absolutely love it. Por el amor de una mujer. From pleasure, command, and control, it's the General Cigar Dave. Final minutes in our Cigar Master's Hour. Willie Herrera, master blender of Drew Estate Cigars, the man behind not just all the Drew Estate brands, but the Herrera Esteli brands. Two brands I want to touch on. First up, the Herrera Esteli Norteño. What does Norteño mean, Willie? Norteño means northerner in Nicaragua. Northerner. Well, you are a northerner. Miami is north compared to Nicaragua. Right, but Esteli is in the northern part of the country. So for the people from Managua, consider the, the Estelianos or the people from Esteli northerners. They're, they're called, they call them Norteños. And then I'm a northerner in Nicaragua, so I, I just I love the name. I thought it was fitting. That's a great name. And you use on this particular cigar, this is a full-flavored cigar, full-bodied, but you use one of my favorite wrappers, a San Andreas Mexican Moron, which is out of this world. A wrapper that at one time people kind of looked down on Mexican tobacco, not anymore, can't get enough of yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's one of my favorite wrappers. It's so rich and sweet and complex. It blends well. It adds great depth. Uh it, it's a resilient wrapper. It's just, it's. I can't say enough of it, man. I love it. I love that wrapper. And when you set out, you knew you wanted to create a very full-bodied cigar, correct? I wanted to create a fuller-bodied cigar than the Herrera Stelí. I also, I knew I wanted to use San Andres, and I also knew I wanted to do a box press. I had always wanted to do a box press ever since I was here at El Titan de Bronze. Uh, but we just didn't have the capacity to 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 do a box press cigar out of here, so I had the opportunity with Drew Estate, and that's that's the reason why I came out, you know, in a box press format. And it's I love the box press; it, the, the cigar tastes great. It's definitely not for a a novice connoisseur. It's somebody that really likes a hearty uh, cigar, a lot of flavor, very bold. But again, it's not going to knock you down. Now let's talk about our Officers Club selection for February. 2019, the and I was very excited about this cigar, the Herrera Esteli Brazilian Maduro, because for the first time, you've always worked with Brazilian Matafina tobacco, but primarily as a filler or a binder, 
Correct. And you kind of reversed the script. You said, I want to make the Brazilian Matafina Maduro wrapper the star of the show. And you did, yes. creating this cigar. Well, similar to what happened to me with Broadleaf, I was never told I could not use it. But we never really had a lot of Matafina uh, wrapper available. Uh, everything was already allocated for certain lines uh, at Drew Estate. And the fact that it's such expensive wrapper and the yield isn't that good. I, 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 it wasn't until now that I was able to uh, allocate enough tobacco to create a full line. And so that's why I went with Matafina. Uh, also, like I was saying earlier, I don't like, I always like bringing cigars to the portfolio that we do not have. So <clears throat> we, we didn't have anything with, with Matafina. So I'm like, man, perfect. I love the wrapper. We don't have anything with that wrapper. Let's go for it, you know, and just started blending and, and looking to create something different again. And using that wrapper, it's got a broadleaf binder. Uh, it's got a uh, Dominican Nicaraguan blend. It's The result is a medium body, full flavor uh, cigar that I think even the, 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 the beginner, could still enjoy as well as the fuller bodied guy will still get enough flavor out of that cigar, you know, and, and they're, in, they're, they're going to enjoy it. Yeah. And that Brazilian Matafina wrapper gives a little bit of sweetness, just a very uh, nice texture to it. A lot of flavor, but not overpowering. And again, Correct. that's a hidden gem, the Brazilian tobaccos, the Matafina uh, or Arapiraca. Love those uh, tobaccos, love those wrappers, and you did a great job. And the response that we've gotten, people just received it a few days ago, th uh, two, three, four days ago, already right. getting great response on it. So it's a fantastic cigar. Now, Willie, I cannot end this hour with you unless we talk about the Liga Provada 10-year anniversary. That is a very, very unique cigar, the way that it's packaged, the old Cuban pigtail. Can't get enough of those, Willie. Brother, that that is that is probably one of the most exciting projects I have done because of the name Liga Provada. And it's got such a reputation that the pressure was on to create something that people would not say, ah, nah, this, this sucks. This ain't Liga. So it, it was very hard. It took, it took over a year and a half to create that blend. It took so long that because initially we got samples of the wrappers for that cigar. And it took so long for me to get something that I really loved that by the time I nailed it, the growing season had passed with the growers. And that is the reason for the delay in that cigar coming out. Um, by the time I nailed it down that we went back to him, the growing season had passed. So we had to wait for the following growing season for him to plant it to then, you know, cultivate for us to then get it, ferment it, process it to be able to get it ready for the cigar. Yeah. And that's got a, just a, a, some very nice, San Andrean, uh, Otapa Negra, uh, Corte Capote. So you got some nice spice on that. You got some Nicaraguan, Honduran in there, Connecticut. Yep. Broad. It's just, it's a great cigar and 10,000 cigars. That's it, man. When they're gone, they are gone. Well, initially it's going to be, it's going to be very limited like that. 
because yep. the initial run is going to be with, you know, the initial uh, Hey, Will, small... Willie, i got to cut it short because we're up yep. against the time. But you I'm telling, we'll, talk, we'll definitely talk more about it. Send my regards to Sandy. Willie Herrera, uh, Master Blender, Drew Estate Cigars. Great having you on, my friend. As always, Cigar Day, the general saying, Mayor Humidor always be full. Mayor Cutter always be sharp. Mayor Ashby extra, extra long. Semper Delictatio, always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make America great again. Make masculinity great again. Willie, we're going to do this again because we could go about five hours with you. There's so much great things to talk about coming out of Drew Estate.